0: Welcome, everyone,
1: to our Scrimmage Recap edition of BAMS Radio. It's our second show of the 2019 season. I'm your host, Drew Arma, here uh, with Thomas. The Wizard Box, is always producing and co hosting this podcast. He does an amazing job. And we've got our third cohort, William Redfish Barger, former national champion and from 88 to 93, a key member of the Crimson Tide, and has been close to the program since the end of his playing days, he always, for the last several years, has joined us throughout uh, the season on BAM's radio. Got both of them with me tonight. William, how you doing this evening, on this Saturday evening? Uh, As always, a lot of anxiety, first scrimmage of fall camp. uh, As you always say, it's when jobs start to be won.
2: Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's, you know, certainly the the full contact practices that take place over at the practice field, you know, factor in as well. But, you know, they want to see, you know, who can do what when the lights get turned on over there in the stadium and, you know, situational stuff. And um, it it sounds like there were some guys today that, you know, took advantage of their opportunities and, um, you know, with the, with the injury to Trey Sanders, some running backs got some, you know, additional reps that they probably wouldn't have gotten earlier in the week. And, a couple surprises on defense, and, um, you know, I'm sure there was uh, uh, quite a bit of cramping that went on. It was an awfully hot day, and sounds like even next Saturday is going to be even hotter. So, uh, after having – and I'm sure that makes Coach Saban happy, because after having a pretty mild summer, um, it sounds like the guys over the next seven days are going to have a chance to get acclimated to the heat whether they want to or not.
1: Yeah, it's true, you know. I- Talking to a couple of media guys that I know that cover Alabama, Coach Saban was a little salty after the scrimmage. But you know, from what we're hearing, uh, you know, they, they, you know, it was a little bit, it was, it was tough to discern some of the things because we, we've heard that uh, Dylan Moses did not participate at all. Uh, you know, we've also heard uh, there was no uh, Brian Ray and DJ Dale, and those two were expected. They, they were recovering from injuries. Uh, I think Dylan Moses was completely precautionary. It would have to be. He, he wasn't listed on the uh, injury report. Nick been talked about, you know, uh, after the scrimmage. So they're being cautious because they can't lose him. But certainly, uh, before we delve into it, William, tough to lose Trey Sanders. And from what I understand, it was on the last play of Thursday's practice. Uh, looks like he's going to have a, a foot surgery. He's going to probably be out for, if not the entire season, the majority of it. He hadn't done anything in a scrimmage yet, but he'd been very impressive in practice and in the open practice last Saturday. Tough break for Alabama, but as you said, uh, you know, a, 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 an opportunity for a couple of young backs, a redshirt freshman in Jerome Ford and then a true freshman in Keelan Robinson. And from what I'm hearing, and I'm sure you've heard the same, sounds like Jerome Ford may have really taken advantage of an opportunity uh, this afternoon.
2: Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've heard as well. And, and you know, I think the, the injury to Sanders uh, could possibly present a, you know, a difficult decision for the coaching staff because it sounds like he might be, you know, 100% sometime in, in late December, which, you know, presents an opportunity for the coaching staff to possibly bring him back. Um, you know, for for the playoffs. Um, we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. You know, we've seen them do it both ways. With, you know, with him being a true freshman, um, you know, what? I, I guess it all is going to depend on, you know, how the running back depth chart and, and the health of the rest of the running back depth chart looks when they get to that point. But, yeah, certainly, uh, you know, unfortunate. You know, it's a pretty serious foot injury. And, uh, you know, you hate that for him because I think he had, done a lot of really good work in the summer program and it had a really good start to fall camp over the last two weeks so you hate that for him but you know like we talked about last week when when one guy disappears you know it presents opportunities for the other guys and you know guys like Jerome Ford and Killian Robinson and and, you know Brian Robinson um you know I think all have a chance to you know get increased touches and show what they can do you know going forward
1: yeah, I mean, uh, hearing that Najee didn't see much action, not surprising. If you look at Nick David's pedigree, a lot of times, especially in uh, the two scrimmages, he doesn't give his feature back or his starter a lot of reps. Uh, but we, I'm hearing Brian Robinson got a few carries, uh, you know, had a nice run in the red zone. Uh, then Jerome Ford had a long touchdown run, had another touchdown run near the the end of in, uh, the two-minute drill. So yeah, he caught six or seven balls, according to my sources. So Jerome was probably the offensive MVP. Keelan Robinson did, did a nice job, too. So they've got four backs on scholarship. Now I'm going to be interested, William, in saying what that means going forward. I think they'll play all four, but you need guys for practice, too. Janarius Townsend, from what I understand, is a backup wide receiver, caught a couple, two or three passes. But he, was, as you remember, he spent the spring at running back I'll be interested to see if they move Jadarius Townsend back to running back, especially to kind of get him through practice and if, if, they need a, if they need another body that can slide from uh, two different positions. They, I think they can honestly, Jadarius has been around long enough, they could probably re- play him at running back in practice, and then if needed he could play some wide receiver in the games, which I don't think he's going to get a ton of time at wide receiver due to how talented we know this group is.
2: Yeah, you know, that's, that's a name that I haven't really thought about a lot um, over the summer, but, you know, on, only at the University of Alabama under Nick Saban, you know, would, a, would an athlete like that, that that can help you at multiple positions, uh, you know, certainly a, a legit 4'4 guy, um, you know, would be buried down the depth chart at two different positions. That's just amazing to me. Yeah,
1: it really is. He chose the towel of Alabama's God, and uh, certainly – uh, you know, hearing that two oh would start very solid, and that's to be expected. Uh, from what I understand, no turnovers in the scrimmage. It's a little bit surprising. There was snap issues uh, from some of the backup centers, uh, but the offensive line, William, and I know you're very interested in that. Here's the interesting thing that I heard, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. But, uh, you know, as I said earlier, Jedrick Wills came out about halfway through the scrimmage, but he was the right tackle. Alex Weatherwood was the left tackle. Yeah, I think we expected that. But here's where it gets interesting. Chris Owens, from what I understand, started at center. And that's not unexpected. But here at the guard spot, the guards was right guard Emil Echior and left guard Evan Neal. And I'm going to tell you what, they scored the first drive, and guess who they ran behind the whole drive? Neal. Exactly.
2: Yeah, I had heard something uh, earlier in the week that the, the coaching staff is really going to start uh, putting the pedal to Neil, um, you know, despite all of his physical gifts and, and uh, you know, God-given talents. Um, they're, they're a little bit disappointed in him as far as his mental toughness. Um, there's There's been some kind of coaching gamesmanship to make sure that uh, – uh, you know, one of the, the, the more wild bunch players on that defense uh, spends a lot of time across from them and maybe even trying to uh, pick a few fights here and there to try and toughen the young man up in Raquan Davis. Uh, but, you know, that, that's something that, you know, um, a lot of young players, um, you know, especially when you're that big, you know, you're used to being the biggest guy by a long shot on the field, um, you know, he's not the first guy that that's you know had that questioned about him, and that's just part of you know coming into a program like this and you know taking the talent level jump from high school football to the SEC. But um, you know, certainly we've heard all the you know the accolades about Evan Neal, and you know I expect him at some point in time to nail down one of those starting guard spots and, uh, you know, spend a year inside, you know, and possibly, you know, anticipating the move out to left tackle next year after possibly Alex Leatherwood goes to the NFL.
1: And your thoughts, uh, from what I understand, they did not play Matt Womack at all.
2: You know, I would say that that could be one of two things. I mean, is he is he battling a nagging injury? But I, I would say that's probably, you know, goes along with the Dylan Moses um, you know, hold out. I mean, they know what Womack can do. He's a proven commodity when he's healthy. And, uh, you know, they're probably just wanting to give, um, you know, Neal and, and Echior, who are, are not proven commodities at this stage in the game,
0: you know, enhance
2: reps and see what they could do. You know, both of them are really, really big guys, uh, you know, in the 350 range and they probably wanted to see how they could do on a hot and muggy Tuscaloosa afternoon. And uh,
1: here's the interesting part. You know know they always do the shuffling with the O-line, but I think it was probably a contingency situation in case Chris Owens gets hurt and they're still trying to decide who the backup center is. We've heard Landon Dickerson would get a look. From what I understand, he did not get any look at the center, uh, but he was when they shifted the ones around a little bit. They kept Jedrick Wills at right tackle. We saw Landon Dickerson come. uh, You know, uh, from what I understand, he came in at right guard and then they put Emile Echior at center, and the left guard was uh, Cornbread Deontay Brown, who we've all talked about would be gone for the first four games. And then they did give uh, you know, uh, Evan Neal some time at left tackle, and from what I understand, he looked pretty good in pass protection. That I thought that was interesting that they did give him just a few reps at left tackle, but of course they, I, that's probably a contingency plan too just in case something happened to Alex Weatherford.
2: Yeah, and I think you know, really, they they they're working with you know, you have got Womack that can that can play outside, but really, Scott Lashley's the only other guy, um, you know, with with SEC game reps under his belt. So they're probably wanting to see, you know, in, in a pinch, and certainly it's going to bode well for his development in the future. Um, you know, if if Neil's ready to you know play out there if he has to. Um, so, you know, I think that's a positive, you know, getting guys multiple reps in, in multiple positions, cross-training them. Um, you yeah, know, that's just going to bode well for the depth in the offensive line going
1: Yeah, and then, uh, and, and as I said earlier, when you talk about uh, this offense, uh, it's defined by the wide receivers. And, you know, Jerry Judy did not get a lot of reps. From what I understand, he did make some plays, make his presence felt. Same way with uh, Jalen Waddle, in fact a source of mine basically said covering those two guys is like playing a video game you just have to get, congratulate yourself when you tackle them and uh, <laughs> he, uh so both of those guys made big plays in the in, in the time they were in there uh and then Devontae Smith was steady Eddie which is kind of to be expected from what I understand Henry Ruggs didn't get a lot of time I think they pulled him out early he may have tweaked a little something as far as uh, you know, or, or, or had a little bit of a heat-related deal. I don't think it was anything serious, by what I was told. But they, I think they were going to play, it, uh, by, be, be precautionary and take him out. But the in, encouraging thing, William, is I, while I understand that those four guys are, are the are have, have have distanced themselves, I heard a lot of positive things about Slade Bolden. He had a touchdown catch, and I know he, he's someone that I've heard Steve Sarkeesian, and That may have been you that told us that. Uh, that Steve Sarkeesian really likes, uh, Slade Bolden, the red-shirt freshman. And then, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the practice, Xavier Williams made a few plays. John Menchie had a touchdown catch. Uh, I, I think this – and we already talked about Jadarius Townsend. This is a really talented group of receivers, not just that top four, though, but I think they've got some guys that next year will be ready to go. And, and I mean, certainly they won't be quite as talented – but I don't
2: expect them to drop off a table either. Yeah, no, and that's that's not surprising to see them limit the you know, those those quick twitch guys. You know, that's a you know, kind of a catch twenty two situation when it's that hot and muggy. You know, guys that, that have, you know, less than ten percent body fat like all those guys do, you know, you, you run an enhanced risk when it's when it's that hot and humid. Um, you know, of not only a, you know, a cramping type situation for those guys, because they do have to start and stop and change direction so much, but it is also a a really good recipe for a tweaked hamstring or a tweaked hip flexor. So, you know, a lot of that stuff is basically precautionary by the training and medical staff. And, you know, they've got all kinds of, you know, scientific medical formulas that they go by, you know, with the, the humidity and the heat index and you know, but it's 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 not uncommon to see guys, especially when you get tired and your mind starts to wane on you a little bit. Um, you know, you, you, you don't really know that it's going to happen, but you know, you you just never know. You know, when somebody's trying to you know make that little bit of an extra effort, a hamstring can pop, or you know, tweak a hip flexor, and uh, you know, all of a sudden you're down for a couple of weeks. So I'm glad to see them starting to uh, you know implement that plan. Uh, you know from from the training staff perspective more and more because we 've seen a lot of guys um, you know especially in the last scrimmage uh the second scrimmage of fall camp where you'll see that we see those guys tweak stuff like that, and it just you know obviously you're not looking at a, a typical um, challenging a season opener versus Duke like you 've seen over the last ten years with so many other opponents but um, you know, it's good to see them taking the, the weather and the, the humidity and the, and the uh, consideration with that stuff.
1: Yeah, and, and again, wide receiver is definitely uh, the strength of this offense. Uh, tight end, they still targeted the tight ends from what I understand, quite a bit. Major Tennyson had a nice catch on the first drive. Had a drop later, but uh, he did get a lot of reps. Miller forestall is another one, from what I understand, did not practice at all. Uh, and that's not surprising coming back from his foot injury. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and Giles Amos, we talked about the walk-on He did see first-team reps I don't remember uh, being told that he caught a pass uh, From what I, I was told he, he saw some time at tight end and fullback uh, Inside the goal line So they're using him as a blocker They trust him there, uh, it sounds like Which is kind of what I expected uh, And then, uh, you know, uh, as far as the other tight ends uh, they made the twos and the threes a lot. I think uh, uh, Michael Parker made a catch. Uh, Jaleel Billingsley uh, had one. So, uh, but I will say, Giles Davis did have a short, about a four-yard touchdown catch, from what I understand. After Brian Robinson, died. I talked about his run earlier. His one of his few carries. He did pop one that got inside the five, and I think Giles uh, was able to polish that off from two. So. Uh, so the tight ends, uh, I think it sounds like William. Even though there's no Irv Smith in the group, and that, I bet, I guess the best way to, uh, to, to, to uh, you know, to describe them is workmanlike. And Cameron Lott too, uh had a drop, but also caught a pass or two. Sounds like just from the what they did offensively, and they're not going to show too much, but the tight end is still going to be a part of it.
2: Oh yeah, of course. Anyway, you know, based on down and distance and formation, they're, they're going to have to be. I've, I've heard, uh, you know, more and more whispers about your boy Alvis, um, you know, since we talked last weekend. So, you know, that, that's just going to add more depth and, and uh, you know, another facet there like you talked about. You know, maybe he can, you know, be that Kelly Johnston, um, you know, for the 2019 season. So I think that's a positive. You know, it's good to see, you know, Billingsley and Law Two. Uh, you know, two basically newcomers to that position, Billingsley by being a freshman and Latu by making the switch in the spring. So, um, you know, it looks like they've got, you know, it could be uh, tied in by committee going forward this year.
1: Yeah, and it'll just depend on how healthy miller all is. So, But but offensively, you know, I, it was, I guess if you had to say which, which one was ahead of the other, uh, you know, as far as first-team offense, but, I'd say they were a little ahead, but when you don't have some of your starters defensively, that kind of explains a lot. Uh, For me, defensively, William, as we said, no DJ Dale, no LeBron Ray, no Dylan Moses. Uh, So, uh, they they got a lot. And then Joshua McMillan going down early. They got a lot of young guys, reps. We talked about Markel Benton. also heard some positive things uh, out of Christian Harris, who's a true freshman, Uh, and then, get. I, I, I'm hearing that they gave Ale Kehoe some turns, Jalen Moody. Pretty much everybody on the roster uh, they gave, as far as inside backer, they gave them a look so uh, that, you know, these guys are all going to get opportunities. There's no doubt about it. Shane Lee as well. Uh, so that, that's going to be a process that's ongoing. And if it's, I'm going to be really interested to see, depending on the severity of this injury to Joshua McMillan, where this weak side backer you know, battle goes, because quite frankly, I know you and I were talking about it earlier in the show, Markel Benton was was not a name that we've been bandying about. It's been more Shane Lee, uh, Ollie Kayo, even Jalen Moody, but Markel Benton, he's a redshirt sophomore. He's been on campus for three years now. Uh, it's about cashing in opportunities, and if he can build on the performance from today, uh, he could be a, I don't want to say dark horse, but he could
2: be someone we could see out on the field against Duke in the starting lineup. Yeah. And, you know, I, we, we made this comparison and talked about, uh, you know, Matt Jones kind of having to, uh, you know, get past the same, um, you know, sticking point in his career at quarterback, um, you know, by being able to go out there and do it on a consistent basis, you know, day after day. And that's, that's kind of the, the path that Markel Benton has been on since he's been on campus. Um, you yeah, he's a kid that, that, you know, Jeremy Pruitt was very high on during the recruiting process, you know, thought worst case scenario, he would make a, uh, you know, a great coverage linebacker against spread teams, but, you know, he, he's kind of fallen, you know, prey to the same, you know, type of inconsistent performance that Mac Jones has, you know, you go out there and see him one week, and man, he's running around all over the place, sticking his nose in there and making plays, and then. The next time you see him live, it's like Casper the Friendly Ghost. He just vanishes. So, you know, I I think consistency at this point is probably going to be Benton's, um, you know, biggest hurdle that he's got to get over. He's been in the program. He knows the system. And like you said, I mean, this could be the door opening that that he's needed, you know, getting out there and, and, you know, getting the run with the first team and, and, you know, getting comfortable and getting confidence. You know, there's been a lot of jobs won, um, you know, because of getting that opportunity in the past. And, you know, maybe Benton can, you know, take this thing by the reins and nail it down by the Duke game.
1: Well, and because of LeBron Ray's absence, Justin Vogue, be true freshman from Forest Park, Georgia, took a lot of reps with the ones, uh, from what I understand. He had, it was solid. I mean, he flashed some. Uh, when Rayquan Davis was in there, he was very disruptive. So, Hopefully, all the positive reports we've been hearing on 99 are going to come to fruition. He was really the only starter along the defensive line that saw any time, as we said, because of D.J. Dale
0: uh, and
1: uh, and also LeBron Ray you know, being out. But, William, i, I got to say I talked to a former player at the University of Alabama who I trust implicitly, and he just feels like when D.J. Dale is in there, he kind of takes the – Defensive line to another level because of, he basically said to me that he felt like he was just like Daron Payne. wore the same jersey number and he was going to be just as disruptive. I do think maybe DJ may be a little bit more quick twitch and be able to uh, maybe more, have some Quinn Williams to him. In other words, be able to rush the passer. But uh, I don't blame Alabama for holding him out. But, uh, you know, I know Alabama struggled a little bit against the run. We talked about the long. Touchdown run for Jerome Ford against the ones. But still, uh, the more you get a chance to play Justin and Bogues, uh, I know Byron Young got some time with the twos
0: uh, as
1: well. Stephon Win before his injury, and Fedarian Mathis was with the ones and the twos. Uh, any kind of reps you can get for a lot of these guys are going to you know, accelerate their development because, to me, the only way you get better is to be out there on the field.
2: Yeah, and, and, you know, especially when the, you know, the conditions and, and, you know, actually adverse conditions like today, you know, for 300-plus pound guys, I mean, this was not a fun experience, Um, you know, getting a bobe out there and, um, you know, some of those young cats. I mean, I I think at this stage, um, you know, it's time to, you know, start buying into the DJ Dale hype. I mean, it's been former college coaches, former NFL coaches that have been by practice and, you know, have seen what he's able to do, you know, in individual drills and in teamwork and stuff. I mean, I think this is a, um, you know, a legit type of deal where, you know, people need to, you know, really start paying attention. You know, this isn't a bunch of unheralded hype here. This is coming from informed, you know, experts, you know, analysis here by former coaches and, you know, I think he's probably going to be the next great one, you know, and then the same along the same lines is, you know, Deron Payne made a huge impact as a true freshman. You know, it took Quentin Williams a little bit longer, you know, to get onto the field more so because of the depth in front of him versus his ability. But even when he did, uh, before he became a full-time starter last year, you saw the flashes of greatness in his brief appearances. So, you know, this is just a great story and, you know, just another uh, outstanding evaluation Um, and a development story. You know, we talked about how he was injured as a junior in high school, uh, got overweight. Uh, That that year certainly hindered his, uh, you know, recruiting ranking. Uh, But, you know, Nick Saban has probably done a better job um, at evaluating interior defensive line players than anybody in the history of college football. I mean, he just pumps them out, going all the way back to, you know, another guy that a lot of people had never heard of before that, um, you know, I think up until Williams went number two overall this past spring, you know, Marcel Darius was Nick Saban's highest-drafted NFL player. So, um, you know, he's been, he's been pulling these three-star diamond in the rough, uh, you know, type guys and turning them into superstars in Tuscaloosa for a long time now. He has, and, uh,
1: and like I say, and not surprisingly, uh, an outside linebacker, Anthony Jennings from what I'm hearing played the most of the, the duo of him and Terrell Lewis. Lewis was kind of on a pitch count, though I think that what I heard he got a, he, he when they went ones versus ones, he did sack uh, Tua Tungo, or excuse me, Tua Tungo Baloa. We'll talk about the backup quarterbacks in a little bit, but Tua Tungo Baloa got sacked back to back from what I heard by Benton and then Terrell Lewis. Uh, but that's not surprising from the standpoint, you know they're going to be a little bit care- careful with Terrell but he did get some playing time, did nice things. Anthony Jennings uh, and Chris Allen asserted himself. Those three are not a surprise. But I will say, our good friend Rodney, or I know you've known Rodney for 20 years. I've known him for quite a long time. Uh, he was right. He reported this last week. But Ben Davis actually did see time with the twos, William. I mean, maybe it's time. I mean, uh, maybe it's his opportunity finally. You know, you know, you don't hate to give up on a kid. I know I certainly. Never thought Ben would be a huge factor, but he's he's earned the trust of the coaches. I think Jarrett's Park saw a little bit of time as well, uh, and King Makuda, Kevin Harris. They gave everyone a turn, but it was significant when the twos were out there early that Ben Davis was among them.
2: Well, you know, maybe this is another uh, you know Jarrell Harris type story. You know, it took Jarrell Harris. That's a great comparison. uh, Forever in a day to, you know, finally get in there and make an impact. It was, you know, up until his senior year. And, yeah. uh, you know, maybe it's the lights have finally come on for Ben Davis. You know, I, I knew despite all the, you know, five-star talk and stuff, I mean, coming from high school football in Gordo, Alabama, you know, there was going to be probably a two-year adjustment period. Uh, I, I don't know why so many people expected him to step onto the field and, and you know, be King Kong Bundy from the word go. Um, you know, that's just a huge, huge change. It's a big jump from playing 7A high school football to the SEC, much less where yeah. he came from. So, you know, a great, great situation for the depth there at, at uh, outside linebacker. Um, you know, a couple people that I've talked to over the last week have, have really been uh, bragging on Anthony Jennings and, and the physical transformation that his body has made, the, the term, you know, physically imposing and, and, Looks a little bit more quick twitch than in the past. Um, it's kind of been bannered about on him. So, I, I think they're in, in really, really good shape out there at the outside line or linebacker position. They've got some proven commodities, um, you know, and some young guys that I think are starting to come along, and it sounds like Ben Davis is going to be one of them.
1: And one thing that was a little bit surprising because of how much hype he had coming in, but everybody – you know develops
0: at a different pace and
1: Ben Davis is a great example of that but Antonio Alfano had a, from what I understand he flashed a little bit but he was with the threes for most of the day he and Braille and Ingram. uh Ingraham, of course the freshman from uh St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida they were they've been expecting to redshirt him Antonio Alfano I've been told needs to get bigger and it did look and from what I understand from people that were seeing or watching him today that seems to be the case he's He's had a, uh, you know, I was told by one uh, former player that he just looked a little stiff and, and slow. Uh, he didn't look quick twitch. But, I mean, I, you and I have talked about this before. I don't think he played against great competition in the league his senior year in Pennsylvania, or excuse me, uh, in in, uh, in New Jersey, pardon me. Uh, and that was his third high school. Uh, I, you know, I, I think sometimes – you know, they, there's a lot of pressure on these kids when they come in with the kind of reputation that Alfano did. I think he still has a chance to be a player, of course, William, but it doesn't sound like right now that he's going to be a huge factor uh, in that in the, in the two deep along the D-line. Your thoughts on Alfano being a little bit behind guys like Dale and Evogi and, and, and perhaps even Byron Young?
2: Um, I, I, I have to admit I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by it you know, because he did do, you know, lived up to the five-star billing and, you know, was very dominant in the all-star game against, you know, comparable competition. You know, I think his, you know, I think he, you know, flashed and got off to a good start, you know, in the first part of spring practice. But seems to have, you know, taken a step back. You know, hopefully it's just, you know, getting used to things. You know, he's a long way from home. Like you said, I mean, he's he's no longer the, you know, the biggest and fastest guy on the field anymore. Everybody, you know, next to him and across from him is just as good. So hopefully that's what it is. Um, You know, certainly I think there's been some questions about his maturity level and that that it could be as simple as that. You know, it may be that, you know, he's got to get used to, you know, compartmentalizing the, the off the field stuff that. You know, so many 18-year-old young men fall prey to when they get to Tuscaloosa. You're listening to one that did himself. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's a little concerning to me, you know, not so much from the standpoint that I think whether he is ready to go or not is going to have a huge impact on Alabama's depth, um, you know, especially with the emergence of the Bogey and DJ Dale, although um, they're a little bit different, you know, cat. And, and you know, I think the, the thing that's really – Confused me more than anything is the the weight fluctuations that that Alfano has had um, yeah. since he's been there. You know, he he was you know pushing three hundred pounds, then two weeks later you know two months later he's two in the two upper two seventies, you know creeps back up into the two eighties. So that that raises some interesting questions in my mind about what he may or may not have been doing prior to getting to Tuscaloosa, and I'll leave that topic alone. But Certainly has some indicators of some stuff that I've seen in the past that, that have you know, played a factor in someone's development.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens to him going forward. Now, the secondary was what we expected. Josh Job early against uh, Tua. He was trying to go deep in the end zone uh, against Devontae Smith, and I'm hearing that Job made a great play. He was beaten early, but he made up ground while the ball was in the air and was right there, made a good play. He had a black jersey on that what I was told. Uh, well, early, and then I guess uh, and, then he, and, he, and then he switched to a red uh, crimson jersey. But he's, I believe he's healthy for the most part. Uh, he and uh, Trevon Diggs were the corners. Uh, and then, of course, Sertain was at nickel. Uh, and then the two safeties were Shy Carter and, and Xavier McKinney. And, and when they went to Dime, predictably, uh, they went uh, to Jared Maton, who had a, a pass make or two. No interceptions today, William, but I think I'm, I'm very high on the starting group. And then I heard a lot of good things about the young players. Like uh, De- DeMarco Ellums, he looks like a young Mark Barron. He's 6'2", two, 215 pounds. He's very well put together, from what I was told. Uh, you know, he, he, he did a nice job today. Also, Scooby Carter, he was in, he was in a black jersey, from what I was told, but I still think they believe that uh, he, he has to mature a little bit as a player, but he has talent. Uh, and in Markets Bank, I think they've done a really nice job of recruiting uh, in the secondary. Jordan Battle, they're going to lose some guys. There's some seniors back there and a, a junior like Xavier McKinney, but I think they've recruited well in the secondary. They got a lot of good young players back there.
2: Oh, yeah, no doubt. I and mean, you know, I was just sitting here thinking. Um, you know, how much we talked about, and, and you know, you, you, uh, uh, spent a lot of time last Sunday talking about, um, you know, how, how much praise Nick Saban was heaping on Shaheen Carter. And yeah. I know for a fact, I don't even think we touched on Jerome Ford when we were talking about the running back candidates last week. And, uh, yeah, I was told that, uh, uh, on, on one of uh, Jerome Ford's uh, runs today that he was quite ugly to uh, Shaheen Carter in the open field. So, you know, it sounds to me like basically I'll be you know, just the first scrimmage. There, There's quite a few guys that we didn't spend a lot of time talking about last week uh, that really did some nice things in the scrimmage. Um, you know, Jerome Ford at running back, Markel Benton at uh, linebacker, and also Ben Davis. So, um, but, you know, I, I think that secondary is, is you know, kind of like the, the offensive line and the, the wide receiver group. There's there's so, I mean, I, especially with an old, you know, defensive back and a defensive back coach uh, like Nick Say, but he's just got to be pinching himself when he's watching film at night um, with, with how how well and how quickly they retooled and restocked that secondary back there. I mean, it's, you know, and it's it, it's not just the, the obvious headliners like a Pat Sertain or a Josh Joe, man, it's these guys that, you know, weren't real heavily recruited, certainly weren't considered five stars like Scooby Carter and Marcus Banks. And, um, you know, a lot of these other cats that are really starting to, you know, get, get with the program and get things down and, you know, maybe not going to be in the too deep rotation right out of the gate, but man, they can make some real, real nasty special teams players. You know how – uh, you know, Coach Saban loves getting those young skill guys, you know, uh, you know, involved early and often in the coverage teams and the return teams and special teams. Yeah, he really
1: does. And, and William, uh, to, to circle back a little bit, at quarterback, from what I'm hearing, it's to be expected. Most of the reps were by Mac Jones and Talia Tungaveloa. A few from Paul Tyson. Uh, heard good things about all three. Tyson made, made a couple of nice throws, but Talia had a really nice long 35-yard-plus touchdown pass early
0: uh, and,
1: then, and then flashed a couple of times, showed his mobility. Showed some inexperience, though, kind of looking down at the rush uh, when he was sacked one time, when he didn't continue to go through his progressions. But he's a young player. Uh, Mac Jones got off to a slow start, really got better as it went on. From what I understand, had a nice deep ball, double move completion to –
0: uh, to
1: a guy we haven't really talked about, Terrell Shavers. That's another one of those wide receivers. Uh, and then and, and, and had, had a nice touchdown pass to Mechie late. Uh, and really did some nice things. I know Nick Saban said in the press conference he thought Mac Jones played well. I mean, your thoughts on Mac Jones being ahead right now of uh, Talia little. I thought Talia had a better practice last Saturday. But as you've always told us, the rubber meets the road uh, when you talk about the scrimmage situations. Is it a good thing right now for Mac Jones to be easily the best, the, the, the second team quarterback behind
2: uh, Tua? You know, I, I think that's still kind of to be determined, and and I think the first part of the season will, you know, probably put the exclamation point on on whether, you know, Jones can put it all together. Um, you, you know, for for what two springs and and summers in a row, you know, all we heard about. Um, was, was all these magnificent, you know, practice reports at the, at the, on the practice field um, about one Blake Barnett. And, yep. uh, you know, I, I, I'd get all my hopes and my expectations up, and then when I'd go down there to watch the scrimmage at Bryant-Denny Stadium, it was an absolute train wreck, um, you know, for Blake Barnett. And so, uh, you know, I've seen Matt Jones, you know, look great, and I've, I've gone out, you know, two weeks later, and, it, you know, it's been a train wreck for him. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's just going to, you know, consistency. Kind of like we talked about earlier, you know, I kind of compare his this point of his career, um, albeit he's got no chance of being the starter unless something happens to Tua. Um, but, but I think, you know, his career path at this point is very comparable to one Markel bit. I mean, they both just have to put the final pieces together and become consistent. You know, you don't have to go out there, and have just one absolute wow moment after another. I mean, these coaches look for, you know, consistency and for your demeanor and your mentality to stay consistent, especially when, you know, things start to fall apart. You know, you touched on, you know, Talia, you know, kind of having an ungluing when the pocket broke down. And, and, you know, let me tell you something, when you're as short as he is – and you've got those damn monsters in your face, you know, two seconds, two and a half seconds after you get the ball in your hands, it's pretty normal and natural at this stage in the game for a young quarterback to have an ungluing. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's the first scrimmage. You know, to me, the the one that's that's always really kind of been the the nutcracker, as I like to call it is the second one. You know, you, know, you, you kind of show what you can do a little bit. You get the coaches having a good taste in their mouth about you in the first scrimmage. But, man, you've got to bounce right back, you know, for the next three or four days in practice over there at the practice field. And you got to come back out there next Saturday. And, that, you know, that's the one that's really going to determine, um, you know, how much playing time you're going to get in the month of September. Um, you know, especially for these guys with the new rule, Um, you know, where they can play in four games and then redshirt. And, you know, I think that is one of the most beneficial and positive rules that the NCAA's passed, you know, since that pile of shit's been, you know, uh, instituted. Uh, I think that's a great development tool for the players and the coaches to utilize. And, uh, you know, it's not quite as good as having a junior varsity or a freshman squad that plays – you know, scrimmages against other teams like they used to back in the 70s. But it, it, it's pretty close, and it's probably as close as you're going to get in the unfortunate politically correct climate that we find ourselves in today.
1: Well, and as we're wrapping things up, I know you're going to think you're in the twilight zone, but from what I'm hearing, the kicking game was pretty good. Uh, Will Ryker I heard the same three. thing. <laughs> yeah, Will, Will Riker made four long kicks. Now – I know that the great Cecil Hurt, who I respect so much, reported four for four, but I heard that he had one block that was a long-distance one and had one hit a crossbar, but he did make several kicks. Uh, he definitely got good height on his kicks, from what I understand. I definitely think Will Riker is going to be the place kicker. Both of us did a little bit of place kicking, uh, but the thing that was surprising, too, is I think Riker got about as many turns and scoured along at punter, and both of them did very well, so... A good start to the kicking game for Alabama, William, uh, which has got to be encouraging to Nick Saban. He was very complimentary of it in the press conference.
2: Yeah, and you know, to piggyback off of what you said, um, from from what I was told, um, and this is by a former SEC punter. Um, he was just as impressed with Rikert's punting as he was with his field goal kicking. Yes, yeah, uh, he same. may be. You he may be a little bit deeper in the mix at the punting position than we thought last weekend as well, which, you know, is a good thing. I mean, you know, if you can have one guy doing both or uh, whether he becomes the starter or not, knowing you've got a guy that can go out there and, you know, not just completely fall apart when he goes to the stadium, especially as a true freshman, um, that, that's certainly another great, you know, recruiting evaluation that they made on this young man. And it looks like he may have a chance to be a, Maybe a dual-threat guy back there one day.
1: Yeah, I was told that he was the number one kicker in his class and probably the number three punter. And So far, he's lived up to it. I still think Bullets will probably kick off. And we'll know more about the returners maybe after the next week's scrimmage, even though I still think Jalen Wada will be your primary punt returner. And he returned some punts today, from what I understand. But so did, uh, you know, Trevon Diggs, Xavier Williams. They, they take a look at different guys. But, but William, uh, as we're wrapping it up with you, uh, before we get some thoughts from Thomas, what are you expecting or what are you going to be following? Uh, you kind of touched on it, but what's to be expected next week in your mind? What are you going to be watching? You know, I, I expect it to probably
2: be more of a pass happy scrimmage. Um, you know, I think they're going to probably want to get the wide receivers involved a little bit more, um, you know, not, not so much for, uh, you know, the development of Tua Tonga by Loa, but for Mac Jones and Talia and, Uh, Paul Tyson, Um, you know, can, you know, some of these guys, the the new name guys that emerged today, you know, Benton, Ford, um, uh, Ben Ben Davis, um, you know, can, can Riker go back out there? You know, if he can go back out there and do it two weekends in a row, um, you know, there'll be a lot of, you know, nerves that get settled in that coaching office. Um, You know, it's going to be another scorcher. So, you know, can the guys – um, you know, have the mental toughness uh, to go back out there because you know, they're going to have a whole week of it. You know, it's going to be a little bit different next Saturday. You're going to see a dead-legged bunch after, um, even though the drudgery of two-a-days are gone, um, it's still going to, you know, drain them after going out there all week long in these 100-plus degree heat index days. So, you know, you might see more, you know, more wilting, which the coaching staff doesn't want to see. Uh, But it's going to be challenging physically and mentally for those guys to to go out there and perform at a high level, Um, you know, unless a tropical storm blows in and, uh, you know, it's overcast and cools things off a little bit. But all in all, you know, you hate to hear about the injuries. Um, That's part of it. But, you know, you just want to see if if these guys can continue to build off of what they started today. That's going to be the, you know, I think the theme of, of next Saturday's scrimmage is build on what you got started today. and. You know, you get the team chemistry a little bit further, and, you know, Drew, it's, it's kind of scary to think about, but, um, you know, after next Saturday, you know, they're going to dial it back and start into game prep. I mean, it's right around the corner.
1: It really is. Well, William, we appreciate the time. We're going to let Thomas give some of his thoughts, but we know you got some things you've got to do uh, the rest of tonight. We appreciate the uh, opportunity to speak with you and give your thoughts. Uh, We look forward to uh, getting your reaction from scrimmage number two next week, man. Have a great week, and we always appreciate
2: it. Hey, good talking to you guys.
1: And, uh, Thomas, I want to bring you in. You heard William and I kind of rehashed it. What is your biggest takeaways
0: from this scrimmage number one of fall camp 2019? Well, well, just briefly, I'm sure I'm going to get – uh, comments on this on Twitter. Uh, the reason that Drew's audio is a little bit weaker is we wanted to turn and burn on this one to get scrimmage thoughts out as quick as possible to our listeners. But to answer your question, I think the biggest thing is the problems with injuries. You know, what what really derailed the Alabama Crimson Tide football team last year was a run of outside linebacker injuries to where, You know, if I had some eligibility left, I could have gotten playing time against Clemson. Quite frankly, so, so you know, it is early. So obviously, it's not you know, in case of emergency, break glass, put in the nacho guy yet. But what you what you really what you have to hope is this has to peter out. Like Alabama, I saw a graphic that went that got rotated around the internet about the talent level at Alabama. And it's yeah. really, really through the roof. But what that translates to in real terms is instead of having maybe one stupendously awesome guy at each position that you can lean on, you have two, maybe three. And in every, in every case, it's going to be a step down. You're going to lose something. I mean, the coaches are not going to play an inferior player just to make a point. That, that completely flies against everything that Nick Saban does in his process. So my, my, my thought is, you know, there is, a, there is a certain level at which Alabama will have, a, have a, a pretty severe drop-off. And with inside backer positions, that was one of the ones that even going into fall camp, there was some concern about. So, you know, it's one more thing. Obviously, there is the scrimmage next weekend so that you can keep getting guys having looks at it. And luckily, if you look at the first chunk of the Alabama schedule, it's pretty pretty. Lo- it's pretty light. You know, you're not going to get a real power game until a few weeks in. So Alabama can sort of fly by wire with this, or fly by the seat of their pants, excuse me, and get some guys real game action as opposed to scrimmage action looks. So this isn't a completely unsolvable problem. It's just, you know, there is only a certain number of injuries that any football team can take, so any injury is a problem. In terms of, you know, with the, with the potential McMillan injury, that's that's the one I'm really referring to. In terms of Trey Sanders, I think he would have, if you take Nick Saban's comments at face value, Trey Sanders was working his tail off to move up the depth chart. But, again, if you to, if you told me you know, 72 hours ago that Trey Sanders would be lost for the year and instead we'll just see more carries for Najee Harris, Brian Robinson, and then a spackling of carries from the other running backs, I'd be perfectly okay with it. So I'm still perfectly okay with that. Unlike the inside backer position, Alabama can take a couple of injuries at running back and still be fairly productive. But, I mean, overall – it's another scrimmage. You're seeing guys move about. Um, it, is gonna, it is kind of interesting to me, Drew, just as an outside viewer, the holding players out or players seeing minimal time in these scrimmages, it's going to be a lot harder to get a beat on the team in specifics. You know, if, if this holds true for the Red Elephant Club scrimmage next weekend, and you don't see some of the players that, you know, we've spoken about on this show, you've talked about on your radio program. Basically, if you have a pulse around the Alabama football program, you know who we're talking about. If those guys are held out and it's going to be a little bit harder to kind of get a beat on where this team is. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. Again, you want your team to peak in November, December, heading into the postseason season. You don't want everybody to love themselves in October. You know, you don't win championships in October. You can damn sure lose them, but you can't win them in October. So, I mean, overall, I think the help, the injuries are really the storyline here. You know, a couple of folks making making moves, but I feel like we've, we've had this discussion. You know, I go back to the Jake Coker versus Blake Sims scrimmages a few years ago where <laughs> – you know, Coker would have a good one. And then the last one, he threw up all over himself and Blake Sims won the job. And, you know, we know how that season ended. Um, in a similar fashion, you talk about the next year, you had Cooper Bateman, Jake Coker going at it. Uh, Coker struggles. The old Miss game happens. I realize this is in season, but still it, it's, it, I, the only caution I'd have is don't read too much into these things. Like week to week, this stuff changes. You know, if, if the Alabama football team that played LSU last year at that health level rolled in to Santa Clara to play Clemson, totally different ball game even in terms of score and i've gone over the stats that say that game is just freaking weird. So that's that's what i mean when i say it. You know, teams are going to change from week to week, players are going to improve, they're going to get hurt, blah blah blah. So i'm it's i'm still excited about it. You know, my ears have kind of perked up with this injury thing, but overall you know, another scrimmage down, dudes seem to be coming along. And that's all you can ask for as a member of the Alabama coaching staff. And from my perspective, quite frankly, I just an Alabama football fan. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: it's uh, certainly uh, there's enough encouraging news. Of course, but injuries are going to happen. And there's already been discussion about on Twitter and, and social media.
0: Does Alabama
1: need to do something about their – strength and condition No, these three injuries had zero to do with that. It's just fate. Alabama's had some tough injury luck the last two-plus years. When you have the kind of foot injury that Trey Sanders had, nothing to do with strength and conditioning. The two injuries from today, uh, from Joshua McMillan and Stephon Wynn, it had nothing to do with strength and conditioning from what I was told. So, again, you know, they, you just need to relax. Hopefully, like you said, Thomas, this will even out and they'll start having some injury luck.
0: But overall,
1: you know, a solid first scrimmage. You it was hard to discern a lot because, as you said, they, they held guys out. But certainly uh, an interesting first step. And you made a great point about it. This changes from week to week because Mac Jones was much better, I thought, today from what I heard than last week. So, But we'll see what right. happens next week. So
0: you don't want to overreact too much. But I will
1: say this. Mac Jones is a lot better than Cooper Bateman. So
0: just be encouraged by that. True. I'm gonna wrap. We're gonna wrap. Well, let me let me make one comment. Let me me, just just one. So so one of the things about the strength and conditioning program, one of the things that fans have to understand about recruiting in the SEC is that it is a no holds barred. You know, you bring a shank to the barroom fight, I'm going to bring an AK-47 and mow everybody down and laugh at you as I take your recruits. I mean, it is as savage and ridiculous as you can imagine. What have we not heard on the recruiting trail in terms of negative recruiting? We have not heard, at least I haven't. Maybe you have, Drew, but I have not heard, oh, Alabama's strength and conditioning program is terrible. They just get their players hurt. I've heard the exact opposite. And here's the thing. If Nick Saban and Alabama's detractors understand that they don't have a that there's no there's nothing to complain about there, then there's nothing there. And amateur kinesiologists and amateur physical folks that played high school football and bulked up and then had knee problems, I don't give a rip about any of that. I mean, come on, guys. If 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 Georgia's not saying it negatively about Alabama, it's not being said. It's that simple. Uh-
1: that's a great way to, to wrap it up by the great Thomas Watts. Well, Thomas, appreciate you, uh, uh, you know, hooking us up here tonight to do this Turn and Burn podcast uh, here uh, now that I'm back in the Rocket City of Huntsville. I uh, really appreciate William for coming on and, of course, with all the work you do. Hope the fans enjoy it. Uh, again, as Thomas said, it may sound a little different, but hopefully – Thomas can work his magic, and we can get this turned and burned tonight. We wanted to bring you this coverage because so many people want to hear about what's going on with this Alabama football program going into 2019, and the scrimmages are such big-time events for those starred for Crimson Tide football information. But we always enjoy uh, interacting with everyone, and we appreciate all the positive feedback. We'll be coming to you next week recapping scrimmage number two, which, is Thomas has said, is the Red Elephant Club scrimmage. But for Thomas Watts, for William Redfish Barger, I'm Drudy Armin. I hope you enjoyed this BAMS Radio podcast. Good night and roll tide, and we'll talk to you next week following scrimmage number two.